welcome to Love Notes from a Soul Coach, a podcast where we talk all things healing, what motivates us, what gets in our way, how do we transcend those stuck places and learn to love and accept ourselves more. I'm your host, Mary, and I've crafted each episode around real themes from my private practice and my life with the intention of sharing insight, inspiration, and just keeping each other company along the journey. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into today's show. Hey, everybody. Today marks three months of the podcast, and one of the most enthusiastically received episodes so far was the second one I did, sharing favorite quotes, and I was asked to do another, so that's what I've put together for today, more amazing quotes from the great thinkers out there to get you contemplating your own life in new ways. I love feedback. I love hearing from you. So please keep it coming. How are you liking the show? What do you want more or less of? Are there any topics you would specifically like me to cover? Reach out to me at marywelch.com or on Instagram at marywelchofficial and let me know. And now I have a beautiful bouquet of quotes that I have handpicked for you. So let's dive in. This first one is a long one from the late, great Ram Dass, and it goes a little something like this. When you go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all these different trees, and some of them are bent, and some of them are straight, and some of them are evergreens, and some of them are whatever, and you look at the tree and you allow it. You see why it is the way it is. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light and so it turned that way. And you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. You appreciate the tree. The minute you get near humans, you lose all that. And you are constantly saying, you are to this or I'm to this. That judgment mind comes in. And so I practice turning people into trees which means appreciating them just the way they are. Mm. You know, research on relationships demonstrates that within the most successful, thriving relationships, the practice of appreciation runs deep. Appreciation is the key ingredient. Some people consider acceptance to be the opposite of judgment, but I consider the opposite of judgment to be appreciation. Because when we're judging, we're tearing down, we're pulling apart, we're finding fault. And when we're appreciating, we're not looking with a critical eye. We're looking through the eyes of love and gratitude. We're not asking the other person to change. We're not creating stories about them or totalizing them. We're not pathologizing them either. We're just taking them in and choosing Yes, I think appreciation is a choice the same way judgment and criticism are choices. 
we are choosing to dwell on what is lovely and worthy and admirable in the other. I love the word allow in this passage. You look at the tree and you allow it. This is also a huge theme and premise for the teacher Abraham's work on manifestation. There's a great line from Abraham that goes, release the word earn from your vocabulary and replace it with the word allow. Sometimes the work, spiritually speaking, is not so much about the effort to create something, to create a new frame of mind or a different, more positive experience in our lives. Sometimes the work is about releasing all of that effort and allowing our focus, our vibration to align with what is, just what is. Releasing the need to judge or criticize it or the need to change it to appease our egos. Just being with things exactly as they are. And in this state, we are not grasping, we're not exerting our will, and appreciation can arise quite naturally. Whatever leaves your life, let it go. Miguel Ruiz. This is one of those sentences that's just an arrow straight to the soul when I hear it. It's so simple, but so profound. Whatever leaves your life, let it go. Don't track it down and drag it back home. Don't dedicate the rest of your life to howling into the wind about how unfair and messed up it is that you quote-unquote lost it. Don't bargain to get it back. Don't write a story inside of yourself about how your life is all downhill from here because of what's gone. Whatever leaves your life, let it go. There's so much grace inside this idea, and there's so much trust implied too, Let it go because you don't know. Maybe it will return to you. Maybe it will return to you in a different form. Maybe it won't return, but something even more aligned with your path will grow up in its absence and fill the gap. And maybe that something never could have come into your life if you didn't go through this loss, if the space that this loss created never took place. One of the reasons loss is so hard for us is because whenever we lose something, we're confronted by the reality of just how little control we have over our own lives. This is very frightening to the ego who resists it by resisting accepting the reality of the loss. But truly, we have so very little control over the events of our lives. And the thing is, even in the discomfort of considering all of this, there is also so much freedom in it because it takes a lot of effort, a lot of work to hold up an illusion. Illusions are pretend and living a life where we're playing pretend, denying certain aspects of our reality in order to feel okay, this is not where our empowerment is to be found. I don't know about you, but for me, I don't want my okayness, my 
my peace with life to be conditional. I don't want it to depend on things going my way. I don't want to feed the false belief that I can run around making things okay. That it's my effort, something I'm doing, that's making it all run smoothly. This is an incredibly arrogant idea. It's so heavily rooted in ego. And then by default, suffering. Peace in my life comes when I lean into the truth of accepting things exactly as they are, not when I lean into the illusion of believing I can control them. Whatever leaves your life, let it go. This means don't fight against what's happened and don't fight against this deeper truth. The outcome was never yours to script. Your work is to release and to trust the unfolding. Don't add more hurt to the hurt by trying to hold on. When we don't feel wanted, we make ourselves needed. Gabor Mate. Oh, you feel this one, right? Gabor Mate has this gift of being able to say it in a way that you really hear it, even if it's hard to hear. To me, this sentence just sums up codependency perfectly. Wanting to be needed feels safer to many of us than admitting to ourselves how badly we want to be loved and how impossible it feels to be loved. Why does it feel impossible to be loved? Well, because in so many instances, we grew up in environments where we were overlooked, neglected, unprotected, mistreated. And so we intuited that we must not be lovable because these are not the ways you treat something precious, something valuable and worthy of care. This is how our minds function as children. We are masters at connecting dots and drawing conclusions about ourselves and life and how the whole kit and caboodle works. If we intuited that we are not worthy of love and protection, that's about as tender a hurt as a person can carry. This is the breeding ground for codependency. We want love. We don't want to believe we're not lovable but we do believe it. And until we challenge and reconcile and heal that belief, we're going to settle for surrogates for love. We're going to find other things to fill in the gap of what's fundamentally missing for us, our own self-approval, self-acceptance, and self-love. When we're needed, we get that belly rub of vicarious joy. Someone else is happy with us. Someone else is relieved we're here. Someone else couldn't have done it without us. Someone else is indebted to us. And we get to walk away feeling that glow of, they needed me and I came through and I'm a good person. But just one story below, there's this brutally painful unworthiness percolating. It's honestly too painful for most of us to face, which is exactly why we subscribe to vicarious living. Our joy comes through the joy we bring to other people. And in the process, our own joy is dislocated. It's not even on the radar. For many codependents, their joy is unknown to them. 
they genuinely don't know what brings them joy because they've been thoroughly trained to attune to other people as a priority. When we focus on other people in an extreme way, we abandon ourselves. In healthy relationships, there's this toggling back and forth between self and other. In codependent relationships, the lens is almost exclusively on other at the cost of ourselves. What I appreciate so much about this quote is the simplicity and the clarity of it. We can get lost in the aisles of our own coping mechanisms and trauma responses. They can seem quite complex over time, but the truth is they began in very straightforward ways. There was a need that didn't get met. There was something we wanted for ourselves and it fell apart or it wasn't safe for us to ask for it in the first place. We devised elaborate ways of compensating for the loss, but the loss or the trauma in some cases doesn't go away. It just gets buried under our habitual behaviors like codependency. I didn't feel wanted, so I made myself needed. There's real brilliance in this. I think it demonstrates how clever the human mind is. I can't have this, but I can find a way to have that instead. It's like sleight of hand. It's like a trick we play on ourselves. The real need gets swapped out with the surrogate. But if we want to climb out of the prison of living this way, of settling for being needed instead of being wanted and loved, we must confront our own feelings of unworthiness. Unworthiness is a lie. It's a misunderstanding that forms in us based on projections we've taken on from the wounded caretakers or people of influence around us. When you begin the journey of healing unworthiness through the process of getting to know your true, real self, you will find so much there to love and appreciate, so much to genuinely befriend. Every situation properly perceived becomes an opportunity to heal, A Course in Miracles. There are so many golden nuggets from A Course in Miracles. I will definitely do a whole show devoted to the course at some point. I've got that cooking in the wings, but for today, I chose this passage to share because it's just a beautiful, simple, clear reminder Life is your teacher, not your warden. When we're able to see the events and circumstances and the behaviors of other people in our lives through a depersonalized lens, we're able to work with our difficulties as lessons instead of punishments. We get our egos out of the way and we ask, what am I meant to learn here for the sake of my healing? Eckhart Tolle once wrote along these same lines, Life will give you whatever experience is most helpful for the evolution of your consciousness. How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you are having at the moment. The ego says, no, 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 no. I'll tell you what I need. I need this person who left me to come back. I need revenge on this other person who wronged me. I need more money, more likes. I need everything to go my way. But you know what? 
These are not the wants or demands of the soul. The soul is not afraid of suffering. The soul understands the wisdom that can be extracted from every challenging experience. The ego wants first class, it wants the soft fluffy bed, but the soul is not afraid to walk barefoot and sleep on the floor if that's what's required. Right before I started my private practice, I went through a brutal breakup. I thought I understood breakups because I had already been through a divorce at this point, but, and I wrote about this in my book, this experience really rocked me and taught me the difference between leaving and being left. And I realized also the difference between intellectually understanding something and then being physically, emotionally flattened by something. So many times this theme has come up in my private practice, how to deal with a breakup, how to deal with the end of a relationship. And I've been able to bring a level of compassion and understanding to those sessions that, uh, that would simply not have been possible had my path not unfolded the way it did. The stuff that breaks your heart expands your heart. The most important word in this passage from the Course is perceive. Every situation properly perceived becomes an opportunity to heal. This is a concept that's highlighted over and over again throughout A Course in Miracles, where a miracle is defined as a shift in perception. So the takeaway here is that life is not just what happens, it's how we perceive what's happening. We go from feeling powerless, like we're living at the mercy of random circumstances, to affirming for ourselves, I am in charge of my own perceptions. I can choose to see things differently. Or at the very least, this can become my prayer, my guidance with difficult circumstances. Let me see this differently. Show me how to see this differently. There is always more than one way of regarding or perceiving our lives. When we live as though the whole point of our lives is to heal and to evolve our souls through this incarnation, then we are willing to consider even the really hard stuff as meaningful and necessary for that growth of deeper understanding and compassion within ourselves. you speak become the house you live in, Hafiz. Mm. The words we speak, especially the words we speak to ourselves, create a certain kind of reality for us. It can be a hopeful reality or a bleak one. It can be positive and intentional, or it can be devastating and condemning. In one of my classes last fall, I shared about my experience in my 20s with a Buddhist teacher who invited us to practice what is called right speech for a week. And I thought, sure, I'd love to because I was naive and very gung-ho and I wanted to experience the tenets of Buddhism and not just subscribe to them mentally or ideologically. So I thought, how hard could this be? 
Well, it turns out very hard because right speech, which is part of the Buddha's eightfold path, which is the the summary basically of all the practices a person can undertake in order to achieve enlightenment. The practice of right speech means no lying, no rude talking, no gossiping or speaking about a person who isn't present to other people in a way that would cause disharmony, and no idle chatter. So this is what I signed up to practice for a week. And let me tell you, it was a quiet week. (laughs) I remember right off the bat, I struggled. I took a cab home from that class and the urge to fill the space with idle chatter was intense. Maybe you can relate to this. It can feel painfully awkward to share silence with another person. Of all the rules around right speech, resisting the urge for idle chatter was and is probably the hardest one for me. What's interesting, though, when you try out things like this and your attention is very much focused on how you're using your gift of language and speech, you realize what a precious gift it is. It can feel like being on a diet and you ask yourself before speaking, do I really want to spend my calories on this? Is what I'm about to say in alignment? Am I speaking meaningfully or just filling the space? Am I speaking in a way that would cause harm? Within ourselves, we most certainly do not practice right speech, most of us at least. The house most of us live in is a house of pain. And this is absolutely directly connected to how we talk to ourselves and how we talk about ourselves. We tend to think no one else can read my thoughts. No one can hear what I'm thinking, so my thoughts don't count. But the body hears them. There's actually no one more important and more worthy of receiving your thoughtfulness with language than you. When we want to change our lives from pain to empowerment, the first place we start is with our language. When our inner dialogue is rooted in kindness, respect, and enthusiasm, it's reflected in our energy, in our expression. I know you know people like this, people everyone wants to be around, everyone gravitates toward. Imagine how they must talk to themselves. You know the phrase, resting bitch face? I don't really believe in that. It's the thoughts we think that mold our faces. There's no way to think beautiful thoughts and have a bitchy face. Your expression, your posture, the way you carry yourself, it's all deeply connected to the way you're talking to yourself and thinking of yourself. Raise your awareness around the words you speak and watch your house transform. The home of yourself, watch it transform. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed putting it together. And I am wishing all of you a brilliant and inspired week ahead. You know, your time is the most valuable asset you have in this life. So I deeply appreciate your decision to spend some of it with me today. If you heard something that resonated or brought hope or a new perspective to your life in a meaningful way, please consider subscribing, reviewing, and sharing my podcast so it can find its way to more ears out there. If you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me anytime at marywelch.com. 
You can sign up there to join my mailing list and stay connected to all of my offerings, writings, and updates. Till next time, friends. <laughs>